The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. this point just fall open there I do want to kind of give you a an idea of where we'll be headed over the next weeks and months and our time together in the word next Sunday we will finish our study of the book of Philippians then the next Monday I and Conrad leave for Uganda Africa And so I will not be with you the next Sunday, nor will I be preaching, though I will be present the next Sunday after that. So I know that you do lift me up in your prayers each week. So just please do, as as Conrad and I are serving there, um, but also be praying for, for Jacob those weeks as he opens God's word for us. After those two weeks, um, I I believe that we will do a a shorter study in the life of Abraham. Our our practice here, as you know, is to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we do that primarily through the New Testament. And preaching the New Testament, you preach the Old Testament. We certainly don't want to be guilty of neglecting neglecting the Old Testament. We want to preach the full counsel of God's Word. But regularly, when we, we finish uh, a book, we'll do a, a shorter series in um, the Old Testament and then back into a, a verse-by-verse study of, the, of a book in the New Testament. And so we probably will continue that pattern, and together we'll work through uh, 12 chapters of Genesis um, and I know you're not going to believe it when I say it, but we're going to shoot for a chapter a week um, in Genesis through the life of, of Abraham. And then after that, we will uh, begin a study of First um, Timothy together as um, we, we have not yet here in um, you know, 12 years of, of preaching covered one of the pastoral epistles, First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus. Um, and so we will turn our attention to First Timothy. So that's where we're headed, just so you know, over um, the next weeks and months and years, um, that is where we will be. But this morning we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 4, and together we're going to look at verses 14 through 19. But if you would, start um, with me up here in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning, 
of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, or not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from, a, from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is sharing the secret to contented living. Of what it means to be content in whatever circumstance you may find yourself in. We all know what it is like to be discontent. We all have met people that are angry, that are sad, that are frustrated, that are unhappy with their lot in life. And they can be um, identified and described as discontent. Let me ask you a question. Do you like to be around those kinds of people? I I don't think anybody does. Uh, Follow-up question. Are you that kind of people? Maybe you are. Well, Paul is sharing the secret to how we can live with contentment no matter the circumstances. And of all the people to teach on how to live with contentment no matter the circumstances, the Apostle Paul is uniquely qualified. He had been in some pretty dire circumstances. And yet no matter where he found himself, he was content. He says that he has learned the secret that in whatever situation to be content. He knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound in any and every circumstance, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He knows the secret to contentment. And what is this secret? He tells us the secret to contentment, no matter the circumstances, is Jesus. It's Jesus. He tells us in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret to contentment is that no matter what, Christ Jesus will supply you with strength. That's what the Apostle Paul had learned. No matter what situation he found himself in, no matter the circumstances, no matter the suffering, no matter the abounding, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, according to the riches of his grace, would supply to the Apostle Paul all the strength he needed to accomplish the task that God had set before him. That's the secret. What that means is that meaning, that purpose, and that contentment is only found in Jesus Christ. It is found in no other source. 
the world, whether they realize it or not, is searching for meaning. They are searching for purpose. They are searching for contentment. And usually that search manifests itself in whatever current um, fad has sort of taken root in the hearts of our society. And the, the, the general feeling, the general consensus of uh, a worldly worldview is that if we embrace these things, then in those things we can find meaning and purpose and contentment. But the reality is that meaning, real meaning for your life, that purpose, real purpose for your life, that contentment, real contentment for your life is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why He says that he gives rest to a weary soul. What makes a soul weary? What makes your soul weary? Not your body weary. You might be here this morning with a, a weary body. But, but Jesus says he gives rest to the weary soul. What makes your soul weary? What makes your soul weary is your constant search and grasping after meaning and purpose and contentment. And when you come to see that the glorious grace of Jesus Christ, that His mercy and His love for you, His compassion for you, when you find in Him the, the fullness of life, then and only then is there rest for your weary soul. Everything you look for, everything the world is looking for is found in the Lord Jesus. And when He captures your heart, your soul finds rest. What that means is when a discontented person gets what they think will make them content, the reality is they are simply trading for a different source of discontentment. I'll, I'll give you an example. If a person is discontent in their singleness, they're unhappy, they're frustrated, they're discontent because they don't have a spouse and they believe that one day if they could only find a, a spouse, then that spouse, having that spouse, would then in turn bring them a sense of contentment. The reality is all they would be doing is, is trading one source of discontentment for another because a spouse will never make you content. Now they bring you lots of joy. My wife brings me a tremendous amount of joy. A, a richness and a fullness to my life that, that, that couldn't be experienced without her. But the contentedness of my soul is not found in my spouse. It's found in, in Jesus. And if, if you think there's anything that could lead to um, the rest of your soul in the search for contentment other than Jesus, all you will be doing is trading one source of discontentment for another. Only Jesus satisfies on the deepest soul level. Only Jesus. That's what Paul is, is teaching here in Philippians chapter 4. And so Paul continues in these verses, verses 14 through 19, 
And here's what we want to see this morning. We want to see that contentment leads to generosity. And generosity leads to contentment. Contentment leads to generosity and generosity leads to contentment. The Apostle Paul is writing to encourage the church at Philippi and to encourage each and every one of us towards a life of selfless giving, of serving, and of sharing. The first thing he does in verse 14 is he commends them for their generosity. Verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. It's an interesting way to put it in the English Standard Version. It's not wrong. It's just interesting. There's multiple ways that it could be worded. Um, it's, it's more literally, nevertheless, you have done well to share my troubles. So it, it certainly was a, a kind thing for them to do in the sharing of the Apostle Paul's troubles. But the, the heart of the issue is, is the Apostle Paul telling the church at Philippi that your sharing in my troubles was a really good thing for you to do. That you did well in doing it. You did well in sharing in my trouble. Now, what is this sharing that they've done specifically? Well, specifically, the sharing that they've done is a financial sharing in the Apostle Paul's uh, ministry, which he defines as trouble. This is a, a financial sharing that they're doing. Like we saw last week, the church at Philippi had been a faithful, loving, uh, generous church towards the Apostle Paul. He, he even he says that again in these verses that they have given to him on numerous occasions and they have done so cheerfully, cheerfully. They have been cheerful givers. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the characteristics there of the church in Philippi, that they had given um, and they had done so uh, cheerfully. And the Apostle Paul says that this sharing in them was financial, but it is experienced at even a greater level than simply bringing an offering. This word sharing here has as its root the word, the Greek word koinonia. You've heard that word before if you've been around church very long. We understand that word to mean fellowship. It means a, a, a partnership. It, it means an active participation that their willingness to cheerfully give to the Apostle Paul to meet his needs in the course of his ministry and mission to take the gospel to the nations, that their, their um, willingness to, to give towards that end has been a partnership with him, a fellowship with him an active participation with him in the ministries that he is doing there. Here's the, the implication for us 
um, this morning. And I, I think it's one that's probably overlooked by the majority of uh, American Southern Baptists anyway. And that is that fellowship includes generosity. I think we regularly probably do not put generosity and giving in a category of fellowship. Because for us, a fellowship is a time to be together, to be in the, the presence of one another, to, to enjoy one another, be it here on a Sunday morning as we encounter each other or in homes on Sunday nights in community groups or on a Wednesday uh, night in uh, prayer or a Thanksgiving meal together, that this is fellowship. But notice the, the Apostle Paul here classifies their financial giving as fellowship with him, partnership with him, sharing with him in his ministry. Though they are um, miles and miles and hundreds of miles away from him, they are in active fellowship with him through their giving. They fellowshiped with him. They've shared with him. What have they shared with him in? Paul tells them that you have shared with my trouble. They've shared with his trouble. They've fellowshiped with his trouble. They've, they've had active participation with his, his suffering. Their giving to him was a means of their partnership with him in his suffering. Now how... Is that? How was their financial gifts that they had given to the Apostle Paul, and as now Paul's writing this letter in response of this gift that Epaphroditus has brought him in this prison in Rome, how is that them sharing in suffering? Well, it is because sometimes it is suffering to give. To be generous and to, the, to have a heart that gives cheerfully sometimes is an exercise of suffering. Now that is in a lot of ways foreign to us because we are so incredibly wealthy. Now you might be thinking, Jason, I'm not wealthy. I don't live in a gated community. I don't, I don't have all the trappings of life. And it's easy for us to look at other people in America and compare ourselves with them and say, we're not wealthy. The reality is, church, every one of us in this room, every one of us are incredibly wealthy compared to 90% of the world. And so our, our giving isn't necessarily an exercise in suffering, though times could be changing in that. But for the church at Philippi, it was. Their giving to the Apostle Paul was an exercise of suffering. They shared with the Apostle Paul in his suffering by sacrificially giving out of their need, not of their excess, to help meet his needs. 
This is what the Apostle Paul says of them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The church at Philippi was, uh, was uh, abounding in something. What, were, what did they have in abundance? Joy. They had an abundance of joy. But they were in extreme poverty. Yet, they overflowed in generosity. You see, church, this is an important piece of the church and what it means to fellowship together. I think we might have lost some of it in the church today. To fellowship together is by nature to be generous towards one another and the ministry of the church, even when it's difficult. We are called to share in this together. This is God's uh, plan for the church. This is what we see in the very beginning in Acts chapter 2 as the church is being formed, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Part of the fellowship of the local church in the very beginning was the sacrificial generosity to those who had a need. It was. And it seems to me, from the language at least, that it wasn't a generosity out of excess. Because what did they have to do? They had to sell their possessions. That's not excess. But they so loved and they so cared for one another that they were willing with generous hearts to share in the fellowship through suffering and sacrificial giving. The church at Philippi, they had known this. They had lived this. They shared with Paul through the fellowship of their giving and their financial gifts, even in unbelievable suffering. And they did so cheerfully on multiple occasions. In verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. No other church partnered, entered into a partnership with the Apostle Paul in giving and receiving. These are, these are business terms. These are accounting terms. Nobody else did this. Only you. You did it when I left Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once, once and again. 
The church at Philippi had given to the Apostle Paul in his ministry and his mission to take the gospel to the nations while he was in Corinth. And they had done it on multiple occasions while he was in Thessalonica. When the Apostle Paul was in Corinth, the, the Corinthian believers gave him nothing. You ain't getting nothing, Jack. He was dependent on the church at Philippi to support him in his mission and ministry in Corinth. And Apostle Paul's called the church at Corinth for this. And he commends the church at Philippi for their gracious generosity. They were graciously on multiple occasions giving out of their poverty. Now, the world would look at that if we're talking in, in terms of business and accounting, the world would look at that and say, that's absolutely crazy. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? You are poor. You are needy. Why in the world would you give it away? Why would you give it away? You don't have the funds. You don't have the means to give it away. That's not the way you run a successful business. That's not the way you run a successful church. It's not the way you run a successful household. This is crazy. And you, you should make sure your needs are met and invest what you can invest and receive some dividends and build some wealth and then give. That would be the world's metrics. That doesn't seem to be the Apostle Paul's. The reason why we should, with glad hearts, give even in our lack is because our contentment should not be found in the multitudes of our possessions, but in the mercies of Christ Jesus. If your contentment is in Christ, then contentment will lead you to generosity. You will want to share in and have a part in His mission and His ministry through the local church. You will want to if your contentment is found in Him. What an example for us. It seems to me that in the context of the text, that generosity is a test of our contentment. If we are content in Christ Jesus, trusting that He will meet our every need, that He will supply the strength that we need, If we are content, then we will have a generous heart. Contentment leads to generosity. That is the example we see in the church at Philippi, a willingness on occasion to forego some things in order to give generously. Now, this isn't giving recklessly. Please, please don't take that to mean 
this is, this is giving recklessly. Please don't take it to mean that. Please don't take this to mean this is, this is Jason just wanting more of your money. You are more than willing at any time to go and see Terry or, or Jacob and ask what your church pays all of your staff. We're all bivocational. We all supply the needs of our families through another means. So please don't take it to mean that. Please don't take it to mean that this is a, a reckless giving. I have had from time to time, as pastor of, of this church, um, families who experienced um, unemployment. They lost their job. And, and by that, I mean, like, the mom was stay at home and the dad was fired. And they had no income. None. And I've had them come and say, what do we do as far as our giving to the church is concerned? We want to be faithful in our, in our giving. And my answer to them is you don't. If you're not making money, you're not, you don't give. You don't give. Feed your family. Let us support you. This is the whole point of giving as a church body so that we can help and support those who in a time of, of need would rely on us. Some circumstances like that, is it okay to stop? Yeah, I would say it's okay to stop. We don't, we don't want to be reckless. Generosity isn't recklessness. What generosity is, is having a spiritual maturity that finds its contentment in Jesus so that we would then live open-handedly through giving sacrificially. That's generosity. Having a spiritual maturity that finds its commitment in Jesus so that we would then live open-handedly through giving sacrificially. Now, why do I say that generosity is spiritual maturity? Because Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because your heart follows your money. And if your giving is flowing to the mission and the ministry of Christ Jesus, then that is where your heart will be. But if your money is flowing towards all of these things that you think will bring you contentment, then that's where your heart will be. It's a litmus test of spiritual maturity. The Apostle Paul commends the church at Philippi for their generous giving because their contentment, their finding contentment in Jesus Christ, even in their suffering, had led them to be generous. Contentment leads to generosity. But then Paul also teaches the converse of that. And generosity leads to contentment. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The Apostle Paul again stresses that he isn't begging them for their money. He's done that on a couple of occasions now in chapter 4. I'm not, I'm not begging you for your money. 
Apostle Paul says, I'm not, I'm not talking out of need and I'm not seeking a gift. Why? Because he is content with whatever Christ Jesus supplies him. He's content with that. He's not just after their money, Paul says. I'm not seeking the gift. Instead, he says, he is seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. Again, this is accounting language. This is the Apostle Paul saying that there is a kind of investment that pays rich dividends. Don't don't we all want those kind of investments right now? A kind of investment that pays rich dividends. Your generosity towards me, Paul says, will produce a fruit or a profit for you. Now, what does he mean by this? Is this some name it and claim it wealth, you know, preaching scheme? It isn't, but it does feel like an... uh, uh, the right time to take up the offering. So if you're on the outside, you're right. No, this isn't, this isn't a, 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 a health, wealth, prosperity. If you, if you sow a seed of $100, Jesus will uh, give you a harvest of 100 times that. And so, you know, I mean, if you're just doing the math, who wouldn't give $10,000? You know what I mean? Uh, that's not what this is. That's not what this is. This is a spiritual and an eternal fruitfulness that comes from our generosity. There's a spiritual and an eternal fruitfulness. When we are generous, we experience and partner in a means of grace. You ever think of it that way? That our generous giving is a means for us to partner in the means of grace. That God's going to take what we have given to Him and use it for His good purposes as a means of grace for the furthering of the gospel around the nations. That when we are generous, we experience and partner in a means of grace, in a means of blessing, and that when we do that, that there will be spiritual benefit for you. There will be eternal profit for you. And that it comes through sharing and sacrificial giving. Listen, these words, they taste bad in my mouth. Because of, of, of the way... The, uh, American evangelicalism, so-called evangelicalism, has been hijacked by these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. But Jesus said it. Here's how He said it. Luke six thirty-eight: Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. Jesus said it. And if He said it, I have to say it. The Apostle Paul says it. I seek the fruit that comes as an increase to your credit. He says the same thing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. We'll start in verse 6 through verse 10, skip down to 17, 18, and 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, or therefore, because of their generosity, out of their generosity, the fruit of their generosity then is the storing up of treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That being generous and ready to share, same word, fellowship, is a means of storing up for yourselves a treasure. Now, where does the Scriptures tell us to store up treasures? To store up treasures in heaven. Why would we seek to store up treasures on earth where moth and rusts destroy? Instead, we should store up treasures in, in heaven. There are no moths. There is no rust. There are no thieves. This, this fruit that accrues to your credit is a heavenly, eternal reward. Not, a, not an earthly one. It is nice to have things. But don't live for those things. Be generous and ready to share. And in doing so, you will be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, eternal blessings. That's what Paul teaches. Paul isn't seeking their money. He is seeking the kind of fruit that comes in their spiritual lives through the means of their generosity. Spiritual fruit and blessings that come from their generosity. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. When we give with glad hearts, when we give generously to those in need, when we give um, graciously to the mission and the ministry of God through the local church, our offering isn't just to the person. It isn't just to the church. What Paul says, your offering wasn't to me. Our offering is to God. What a different kind of outlook. Our giving is to God. A fragrant offering, Paul says, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is Old Testament sacrificial language. 
Paul saw their gift that Epaphroditus had brought to, to him. Paul saw that gift as a sacrificial act of worship to God. And this is what God expects from us now in the new covenant. Not an Old Testament animal sacrifice to, to earn uh, uh, an, an atonement. But now... The whole of our lives given out of generosity to God. Romans 12, 1. I appeal there to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your whole life a spiritual sacrifice to Him. The same thing is taught in Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Our sacrificial giving through generosity is, is to God. And then the fuel... For our willingness to give is the proof that generosity leads to contentment. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Not only would God bless them in heaven for their generosity. But God was and is faithful to meet every earthly need now. That's what it says. God is faithful to supply every need of yours. We can know for sure that our every need will be met by God. And that should bring rest to a weary soul. My every need will be supplied for. You know what that means? That means that I can live open-handedly because God will meet my every need. Notice it's a need, not a desire. A necessity, not a want. Everything you need will be supplied by God according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This language is incredible here. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This isn't out of Christ Jesus. But he will supply everything you need according to the riches that are His in glory in Christ Jesus. So what are His riches? What are God's riches? God's riches are everything. Everything. Everything that exists belongs to Him. Everybody seen the new pictures from the NASA telescope? Some of them just look like a bunch of dots. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you haven't seen them? They said this, we can, we're looking further into space than we've ever seen. And do you know what we're seeing? 
the riches of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we're seeing. All of those, all of those countless galaxies belong to Him. And it is out of the abundance of the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus that He will supply everything you need. Everything is at His disposal. Here's what that means. That means that His account cannot be overdrawn. Everything you need will be given to you according to His riches. So generosity leads to contentment. Every need met. And contentment leads to generosity. God will meet my needs so I can give as He leads. Father, would you help us be this kind of church, these kinds of people who give and live as open-handed, willing sacrifices that our sacrificial giving to meet the needs of others is certainly used by you as a means of your grace to supply their needs, but it is also used by you as a means of grace to build in us a deeper spiritual maturity as our contentment in you grows. You, O oh God, will supply every one of our needs. And you will, in Christ Jesus, give us strength. So would you help us then as your people not to trust in horses and not to trust in chariots, but would you help us to trust in the Lord our God, the maker of heaven and earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.